Hello and welcome to episode two of the Grace People podcast. My name is Dan Lugo and I'm your host as we explore grace in every corner of our community, White Bear Lake, Minnesota and beyond. You know, I'm a big believer that iteration is better than perfection, uh, and I'm going to prove it to you. A couple weeks ago, we put out a episode of the Grace People podcast that had two interviews, and so the entire episode was about an hour long. Well, all my friends said, Dan, I loved the first half of the show, but then my brain was full, so I, I didn't listen to the second half. So I did some surveying, I asked around, and I was like, hey, what's the ideal podcast length? And it turned out for most people I talked to, um, the answer was somewhere between 25 and 35 minutes. So I was surprised by that. And I said, okay, well, you know what? If that's what you want to listen to, that's what we'll do and how we're going to make that happen. Is I'm just going to take last week's interview with Grace that a bunch of people didn't get a chance to listen to, and we're just going to make that episode two. So here we go. Uh, a house, a home, and a house church, part two with Grace Johnson from Masters Institute Seminary. And we're just going to jump right into the conversation as we discuss church in the time of COVID, as well as something that you may not know exists, house churches. What we're all asking the question right now, especially in um, in COVID tide, uh, yes. which is the liturgical season we're in. Yes, COVID exactly. Tide. It's on the calendar now. Yep. Uh, like. Okay, so if we can't do that, what? Yeah. What do yeah. we do? Oh, it's such a good question. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've been wrestling with that question my whole life as a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. I like. We were part of many different churches. Um, my dad, who is the pastor of my two parents, um, really, I think, had a lot of interesting ideas with ch- about church, and I think always thought differently in some ways, um, and had house churches throughout our different experiences. Most recently, he is now currently also still leading a house church. And he's tried to structure it in a little bit different ways, whereas a lot of house churches, just because it's a house church, doesn't mean that it's necessarily that different than a Sunday morning gathering. It might have the exact same structure, you know, or cadence or liturgy of, like, we all come in, we say hi, Oh, someone gathers us. Oh, it's time to start. We start off with a song or two. Then we go into yep. maybe a couple of announcements. Then one person speaks. Mm-hmm. We close it with prayer. And that's kind and of... maybe been, have communion. Yeah, communion. Which would be yep. like the, the traditional, yeah. uh, the fourfold liturgy. That yeah, follow, yeah. Like gather. Uh, everybody comes. It's funny because two of them are just like show up and leave. Yeah. <laughs> fourfold. Gather, uh, proclaim, something with the word, something yes. with scripture. Yes. And it usually ends up being some sort of sermon. Yes. Um, somebody yes. talking. Exactly somebody talking. For yep. a long time. Uh, the breaking, breaking yep. bread, celebrating communion, uh, however they theologically interpret what's going on there. Yes. Breaking, right. And then the sending. And yeah. it just, it fits that pattern. It's good. But it often looks a lot just like the big church. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been interesting observing that and seeing, you know, kind of putting some pieces of the puzzle together as I've grown up. I always felt like something about this building space, something about the way we're doing what we're doing, though I love it, it in its place, in its, and I, I think that's part of it is what is its place? Where is its place? I don't know that it's every week. I don't feel now, I can say that more confidently now, I don't believe that the place for that type of gathering is supposed to be weekly and is supposed to be what people think of as the primary way that we gather, how we do life together, how we do family together. And especially in the Western culture when we're so busy, specifically American culture, when we're just so busy and we now need, you know, we need Twitter and we need things that limit us 
limit our speed. You know, <laughs> we need an audio clip that's 30 seconds mm-hmm. because we can't fit it in. Like there is, I mean, that's, that is just the reality of the culture we live in. So when we make something like that, that structure, those four elements, the primary way that we gather, but then we use that, um, that space to communicate, okay, but now go do these other things because we're not doing them here. Mm. You know, we're not doing the, this stuff here. We're not, we all know we're not, we're not dumb. We all know, like, we're all aware that this is not family. This isn't like what a family does when they gather. This is what a family does when they like, are like, let's go to a concert. Let's mm. go do something special. Mm-hmm. Let's be inspired. Let's go do, do something big. Go see a, mu- you know, go to a museum, go, um, that's, you know, that would be the metaphor kind of for, to me, what that Sunday, ga- Sunday gathering is. But when we use that space to say, okay, now go create the thing that we're not creating here. Go do that in your own time. In our culture that's so busy, it's really, really hard for people to grab a hold of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that there has been a contradictory message, like just this, I am a preacher and I have preached many times about, you know, we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have access to the same Jesus and, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and you can do this stuff. Um, but when I never get out of the way to really believe that somebody else, show them that I believe that somebody else can do this stuff, I just tell them to do it, but I don't move out of the way and be like, do it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a contradictory message. Um, and, and even just the missional movements that have been happening for a long time now. There's been a huge variety for many years, few, a few decades now of different, different things, very progressive things, I would say, you know, people canceling Sunday services, which is unusual. Maybe there's people out there that don't even know that's something that people have been trying. Um, they use the word can't, you know, some people use the word cancel, but what they really mean is um, don't just call this church. Don't just call this gathering church when it's in the building. Also call the gathering of you and your neighbor's church on a Sunday when you are adding meaning to it and you're having some intentionality. And those things are are pretty risky, are pretty crazy. You know, a lot of people have been trying those things. Um, the church I worked at down in Phoenix was a was a one of those churches. They were really they were a church plant from a large mega church and they really wanted to start doing missional communities, which are groups that kind of focus on something like bowling. Or, you know, something something that, like, we all like to do ballroom dancing. We actually had a missional community that was ballroom dancing. And they just nice. gathered on Friday nights. And that is, it makes a lot of sense that that's a lot easier to invite a coworker to mm-hmm. than a Sunday morning service. Where it's like, I have no clue what's going on here. I don't know this liturgy. I don't know this gathering, sending, you know, rhythm, whatever's going on here. Um, and I think that's really revolutionary for the church to start thinking about mission as beyond just a soup kitchen or beyond just like service projects. Yeah. Now like, in a large church, uh, and I would consider us in the large church category, community of grace, uh, about pre COVID, <laughs> you know, we have yeah. to PC yeah, you know, yeah. pre COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, true. We're shipping about 500 weekly. <laughs> um, the, the thought in a church this size is like, there are social groups and right. you might do that. You yeah. might go ballroom dancing yeah. on Friday night and you okay. can invite your coworkers. But there's still the there's still the, the gathering Sunday point. totally gathering. So that's been a thing, exactly. Where we've we've created this other alternative way of thinking about mission, and I think that's been a really beneficial thing for the church. That we aren't just like mission is when you literally either travel to another country and paint a building, or build a building, or 
hug some orphans for a while, not to reduce that. I have done all those things <laughs> and I love them all. But, you know, to start helping us think differently about mission. Mission is also just being present in your workplace, learning how to bring G- join Jesus, who's already there, um, seeing what he's doing, start start risking some of the things you say verb you use with your mouth, you know, the, the conversations you have, helping guide those things and seeing all of that as mission. Mm-hmm. I think that's been really important for the church. But the disconnect I've been feeling lately, um, especially during COVID, has been this disconnect between kind of the segregation of the gathering point and this mission stuff. Like, it's always been segregated. Mm-hmm. That's things people people have talked about that plenty. Um, but I think the reason it's been segregated is because of the way we structure Sunday mornings. And this has been a revelation for me recently is that when we say from the pulpit, you know, join these missional communities or, you know, church starts when the service ends. You know, those types of things mm. are really powerful, very true things. Like, yes. Church, I believe, is happening while churches, while the gather the service is happening. But I think church, it's true. Church does start when, um, when the service ends, meaning you're still with your fellow believers in the world doing your stuff. Your life is like well beyond the Sunday morning thing. Um, those things are true and important, but when we only say something from the pulpit to motivate our people to do something else besides Sunday morning, um, we I think we're perpetuating that segregation, and I think that there's a better way to do it. I think that there's a way that we can have a rhythm that still allows for that large group inspiration, that museum visit, or that museums aren't that inspiring to most people, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying that. Yeah. Maybe I'm not musical. like a big museum person. Yeah, yeah. musical, Broadway, Hamilton. Music. There we go. Yeah, that's what I needed. That's a better metaphor. Yeah, that's the Hamilton experience. Like, you don't go to Hamilton every week. Mm-hmm. You don't go to a musical every week. You do it once a month if you're lucky, if you're a lucky person. Um, I I would love to. I would hope that people could go more than even once a month. But it's a lesser rhythm than how often you have family dinner. And that, I think, is what is disconnecting us from our home life when we we have this, like, powerful, big, everything's overproduced, produced and overproduced, sometimes in some churches underproduced, like, you know, Sunday gathering where we have the best of the best that we can offer you. We have the best person in this. Their giftings are the highest that we have that we know of. We have hired them um, in in this specific gift. You know, they're the best musicians, the best whatever it is. Um, And I know churches are are full of people that are in love with Jesus and want to look at the heart and character of people. So I'm not saying churches that, that, that gather in this way are not focused on people's hearts who are leading. I believe almost everyone I know currently, my pastor friends, my worship leader friends, including you, have beautiful hearts and are also gifted. So I think that a lot of people really want to put, put in front of people, people who are representing Jesus well, who actually like love, you know, love the community, want to grow themselves, want to grow with Jesus, but also have like really, really specific gifts. And if that's all we're putting in front of people every week, it's, it's not, shouldn't be surprising to us that people conclude, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't exegete scripture. I need someone else to do it. I honestly kind of believe that we have kind of reverted to pre-reformation where we we had this in No, you go for it. All I'm, right. gonna, I'm probably gonna be right there with all you. All right, like where we we have put back on the robes. You know, Luther's like, all right, 
priesthood of all believers, you know, whoa, this is crazy. I just realized scripture should be in the hands of every person. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be able to read this. Everybody should be able to interpret. The priest should not be the only one who gives a homily. Who who the homily should not be the only place that people are understanding and interpreting scripture. Um, you know, everything, all of the above, everything he's saying during the Reformation. And I believe the way we have so focused on having a few people do almost all the work, almost all the stuff on Sunday mornings, you know, there's plenty of people volunteering on other, for other things, but for the most part, a few people, handful of people doing most of the work on Sunday mornings, I think looks a lot like pre-Reformation and what Luther was trying to oppose and we're not trying to do that. Nobody that I know, including myself, would ever get up and preach and be like, only I can interpret this for you. And, you know, don't read your Bibles. Like, we're all saying, read your Bibles. Here's a Bible study, blah, blah, you know. But when we don't, we don't communicate by showing, by demonstration, that somebody can actually, <laughs> who doesn't have credentials, who doesn't have an MDiv, who doesn't have, um, hasn't taken vows, you know, hasn't done all this stuff, can get up and share from the word. We're actually opposing scripture. We're, we're opposing the model that was given for us, which hmm. depending on your theology, you can decide, well, just because that was an example doesn't mean that it's a command. Right. Is you the know. scripture prescriptive right. or is it descriptive? Right. Like, I understand that. Um, but I think there's a good argument to be made that this is what it will look like when the Holy Spirit is active. Like, if you read through Acts, which I encourage every believer right now during COVID to re-read Acts or read it for the first time from start to finish, it is a powerful picture of what church looks like when the Holy Spirit is being entrusted to all people, poured out on all people. Um, You know, everything is shared. Everything is, nothing is mine. Everything is each other's. And and if you don't have a sermon on a Sunday morning, it's you really not church. You don't have service. Yeah, it's a worship service. Oh, I went to a worship service on a Sunday night at a church. It was an hour-long worship. How is that not church? You're literally worshiping God the entire time, from start to finish. Yep. You are. Your attention is up here on on God. While you're listening to a sermon, it may or may not be. You know, yeah, <laughs> you're right, sitting here just right. like, well, I don't know what you're thinking. I have no idea. Yeah, you know, and that uh, I would think that comes out of. Just the evangelical movement yeah. and focus on the scripture, which isn't a yeah. bad thing. No, it's not a bad uh, thing. But maybe not everything. Yeah. Maybe not every <laughs> time. And I think we should just take this opportunity to look at why do we do this stuff? Like, what is it that, what are we accomplishing when we do these elements? Um, and when we do them so specifically, when we do it for 20 to 40 minutes, when we do when we do it every week, when we do it with just these few people doing it over and over, or, you know, we rotate in different people sometimes, and that's great. Um, but 90% of your congregation is not being used on up front, yeah, obviously. That's you know, true. That's, that's the reality. Um, so what I'm seeing with this gap between what we do on Sundays and the missional movements is that when we don't empower people to practice sharing the gospel with fellow believers— and by sharing the gospel, I don't mean they're trying to obviously not evangelize each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we're assuming, okay, we, you believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. But it's talking about the gospel, sharing how the gospel is fresh in your life, sharing what Jesus is doing in your life, which is what our microchurch has been practicing. If they're not doing that on a Sunday morning, how can we expect them to do that with their neighbors? You know, or yeah. where will the meaning come from? when they're with their neighbor and they're like, I'm feeling like the Holy Spirit wants me to say something. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that in years. 
because I <laughs> I just watch on Sundays, you know. One of the things we do in our micro church is this Lectio Divina practice where we read from the Jesus Storybook Bible because we have a lot of little kids. Mm-hmm. We read a little story. Everyone, um, everyone, grownups and kids, gets a piece of paper and some markers, and we just draw the picture of what we heard. And then we ask two questions. We have a, se- a second phase of drawing. Put yourself in this picture now. So you put yourself in the scripture story. So the storm story. Where are you? Are you, like, throwing water over the boat? Are you, like, screaming at the top of your lungs, like, get me out of this boat? Um, are you just sleeping with Jesus? I mean, kids, it is amazing to see where they draw themselves. <laughs> like, somebody's on the beach looking for shells during the storm, you know? And they're just like, oh, Jesus, got it. That's what a kid said in one of our groups, you know? Um, the grown-ups, like, what they're what they're seeing and, and the variety of what people are, are hearing and seeing from God. And then the last question is, what is Jesus saying to you in this story for today? So, like, you actually imagine it. You you picture his face. What is, you know, we could close our eyes. We think, Jesus, where are you? What are you saying to me? Some people don't even see him in the story anymore. They see him in their room. They see him at school. You know, a kid said, I saw him with my this this kid who was trying to punch my friend. And he had his arm around the bully and his arm around me. And mm. he said, don't be afraid. And I really believe my nephew, who's six, who said that, was like, Jesus was there. He was there that day when that bully was chasing us. Like, mm. it, it completely reframed this memory for him. And when on a Sunday morning have you experienced that? Now when little Luke is in school, you know, he's going to act differently. Like he, he has something that he can take with him from his Sunday morning gathering that empowers him when he's out with his friends, when he's out with his teachers. I'm just seeing the power of shared leadership and how much that really does connect what's been missing, I think, between mission and what we do on Sundays Mm -hmm. and how much like when you get to, if we're telling people, go, go talk to your neighbors, you can do it. But we don't let them practice doing anything when they're with us or just very minimal what they can do. Um, I think I, it's the, amazing. It's amazing to see. One of the themes I hear you speaking is the, have you ever heard the the medium is the message? Yes. That phrase, yes. Marshall McLuhan from yes. the 70s, that communication theory. Yep. Um, that it's not what you say that, that what you're communicating. What you yeah. say isn't what you're communicating. Yeah. What you're doing totally. is actually what you're saying. So yep. when we stand up on a Sunday and say, uh, as professionals, everyone exactly. can lead church, but all they see is the professionals leading church. What we're actually saying exactly. is Damn. we can lead church and you're showing up. Thank you for saying that so much more eloquently. That is seriously perfectly said i just got to sum up what I'm trying the to brilliance say. of your last no, you know, that's, 10 minutes <laughs> yeah wow well, yeah sorry it was you made it easy for me no, that no. is a great very helpful very helpful summary how do you convince someone who yeah does not believe that this is yeah. better yeah 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 where do you start with that great person? question i'm kind of working on that i started this thing called the missional living lab and what's funny about it is i debated even having a website um, charging anything or making I don't want it to be so formalized that people it overwhelms people because I think what people hear when they hear me talk about this stuff is I have to plant a church this is a church plant hmm. you know which means I need a sign I need a I need like a team I need like I need five a trailer yeah I need it I need that box church I need you know I need lights. Even if the yeah, I need some stuff. I need some people who are super equipped to join me. I need I, public speakers. Uh, yeah. I need to be a public speaker. I need speaker. to suddenly change who I am and what I'm doing with my life. And this is stressful. I don't think I can commit to this yet, but it sounds cool. Or even if they get kind of the shared leadership part, they still feel this this burden of like, 
I need to go door knocking and get people to recruit them into this thing that I'm starting. This Because I've been through this Mission Living Lab, I'm encouraging people and trying to support them to start a micro-movement is kind of what I'm calling it. What many people have called it. But basically, it's just this is a small little movement that you can do safely during COVID, um, which also is confusing to people because clearly there's a big spectrum there. But mm-hmm. in Minnesota, winters are coming. That makes it more complicated. We're not going to be able to meet outside. So, But what I've said to... Um, people who who are just, I mean, they're natural leaders. They're people that you could easily think of in your in your congregation that are always leading, always, maybe they're even a retired pastor. You know, there's somebody who's mm-hmm. got, got, some got skills. Yeah, they've got leading some, people yeah. in some way. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be that person, but even those people, I, I'm realizing, are having a hard time grasping because I think we have so convinced people that when we do something new, it has to be Americanized. Everything about it has to be it has to be successful. It has to be big. And for it to be successful, it has to be big. You know, <laughs> yeah. it has to be, there has to be something cool. Yeah. Numerically uh, big. There has to be something you can say that you're doing. That's so special. And I genuinely want people. Brand. Yeah. A brand that we have to like, we have to have a thing that we're doing that. Who's our, who's our, who's our people that we're, we're focusing on? Who are the people? Like, what's our job? Our target market. Yeah. Our target market. We we're we're market with the terms, homeless. Yeah. We're with this. We're, which is okay. There's there's groups that do that. There's micro churches that um, really want to choose a focus. For sure. I think that's there's nothing wrong about that. But discern that in a community. Though none of those things are what I'm talking about. This is seriously. Think about. I've said to these people, who is one family or one person that you have continued to be exposed to during COVID? It might literally just be your family members. That's okay. Start with that. <laughs> Where two. Or three are gathered. He is in your midst. Like, literally, start with your family. Four-person families, you are out. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Four is too much. Too, too many. Much. <laughs> yeah. No, but, like, at least two, you're good to go. Is there one other soul that you have continued to see? I mean, 99.9% of people during COVID have continued to see one person, you know? So, especially in their own household, but I believe even outside of your household, even if you are the most extreme um, in your desire to remain safe and you need to there are still people if you if you're like you're in a vulnerable um person in the vulnerable people group there are still those people who who it's like well this is my sister or this is my niece and i always see her i'm not afraid mm-hmm. of sharing germs with her sure. think about that person mm-hmm. invite them over for brunch on sunday morning <laughs> you know like literally it's just, let's just wipe away everything else you're thinking of and and i mean you could start with that you don't have to have food but i think food really helps um helps it feel more natural. What what we've done in our micro church, it's not like we don't have a website that we're like, you know, my dad's church is called Family Room Church and I love that name, but it's like Living Room Church or whatever we are, like meets every Sunday at ten o'clock. Like this isn't that thing. This is this is the thing that you like doing and you do already. This is that. But you are gonna add some meaning to this and you are gonna take a few risks in this that you will get to watch the Holy Spirit use you, use your group. And basically those risks are going to be exciting. Like once you start doing them, you're going to be like, why didn't I do this more? It's really not that hard. Like our micro church doesn't have a website, but it's just a group text, much like you would do with some friends Mm -hmm. when you're like, Oh, Hey, we're doing dinner. Oh, that's cool. Will you text me about that? Actually, I have a group text going. Why don't I just put you to the, in the group, put that person in the group. Like they want to come. Okay, cool. We gather, we meet, and before we meet, I spend about, my me or my sister-in-law, who's kind of co-leading this, we spend like maybe five minutes thinking about, hey, let's have Heather bring communion this week. Heather has never been asked in her life to bring communion. 
ever from her normal church. She's been a missionary to Romania. She was, I think she lived there for seven years. She's worked with YWAM. Um, so mature Christian, very mature fully Christian, capable. very capable, you know, <laughs> just very wonderful, precious woman of God, two little boys. Her, her husband is Romanian. Um, she shared this beautiful baked bread she had made during COVID. I think I shared this with you, Dan, but she, she brought this bread. She has this mill. Her grandpa passed on to her dad, and, and now she has it. The kids were just enthralled with this whole story. She's telling about this mill and how it works, and um, she wanted to bring it, but it didn't work out. But they were still just so engaged. They're like, She's like, you get to turn it, and you get to do this stuff, and it takes the wheat. She just was so tactile with everything she's doing. You know, crushes this wheat so it just pulverizes it, which means it's totally tiny, like just in the tiniest little parts that you could never put it back together. And you just think, this, we can't do anything with this now. But then you make it into bread and look, and she pulls out this beautiful loaf of bread. We can all smell it. It's warm. She's been, you know, a lot of people are baking a lot during COVID. She's, mm-hmm. she's become this baker, so she's sharing this new thing she's been doing during COVID. It, I mean, it, the smell was amazing. It was this huge, it looked like a first century loaf, loaf of bread. It was like, this is sweet. And she breaks it up, you know. Now this, that pulverized wheat, that crushed wheat, has become new life that goes inside us. Much like Jesus' body was crushed, annihilated. How could this ever become anything else? Now his spirit is entering our bodies and we are revived. We are, he is revived in us. Why would he let us do this? You know, she's sharing this whole beautiful gospel story. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I had done communion, which I've done hundreds of times in my life, I would have said the same things that I say, right. you know, I would have given the little like, which aren't spiel. bad things, not but bad. They're just, but it's just my little, like I, no. it's, it's routine for me because I've done it so much. I am the only MDiv in this group. I've the only one who's worked as a pastor full-time like you know it's just interesting to watch the heathers of the world being given a voice and an opportunity and an authority to share and watch what the holy spirit does like this is something that i think is just interesting to me like there's so many so many more ways that we could be using our gifts and so we're not shutting down um a a person who is very called to worship lead like you Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be doing that less. I want you to be doing it more. I just want you to also be moving out of the way on a Sunday and empowering people to do, to be like, Alexa, play my lighthouse and have a <laughs> tiny little six-year-old say that and just get so excited. All right. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> All right. See? There it is. See how easy that was? See how easy that was? Alexa's the best worship leader during COVID. Yeah. I'm just saying, you all have one in your house. <laughs> Alexa, thank you for your time. Please, please <laughs> shut off now. The robots are going to take over the world. They are. Wow. Uh, She's everywhere. Yes. She's always watching. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, like thank Santa you. Like Santa and Jesus. Like Santa and Jesus. Oh. Just thanks for the letting me rant a little. Yeah. How is it good news to those who don't know Jesus? Oh, it's great. I think in so many ways, especially since George Floyd's murder and everything that's happened since then, I think that... I'm not trying to suggest that this is some, like, this is replacing the gospel. I I just really believe that shared leadership is such a vital missing part of the family of believers. And when we, when we put our, almost all our eggs in the basket of a couple people leading us on Sundays, it's no wonder we have segregated churches. We have when the pastor's white and, you know, they sometimes get maybe a black speaker, they sometimes get, you know, somebody from the congregation who's a person of color who wants to share something, that's great, but 
the pastor's away. So, and that's it. That's the pastor. When they leave, that's why we have such a big process calling a new pastor. We have created this system that makes us need that. And I think when we share it a little more, um, the gospel has the opportunity to grow in a way that it never has in the traditional structure of church. And, and like, I have black neighbors behind me. Um, I have Hmong neighbors, Vietnamese neighbors. And um, my, my black neighbors behind me, he has his grandbabies with him a lot. And his little girls, I want them to come on a Sunday morning and just join us. And I think it's actually oddly more natural than you would think mm-hmm. than just like sitting through like all these components and you have to 